Well, how's everybody doing? It's good to see you. And I just have to throw out that I'm the co-creator of Five Solas Media and the All Things Together podcast. My wife, Melissa, and I do it together. And in fact, I don't know if it would exist if, if she wasn't there working alongside with me. She's a very creative person. It's a, a blessing to, to work with her. And I bring the greetings of my fellow elders at the Reformed Baptist Church Riverside. We're thankful for uh, a faithful church here that's staying true to God's word in a, a very um, challenging time, wouldn't you say, here in the United States. There's many drifting into all sorts of errors and heresies and um, all sorts of things creeping into the church and to, to know of a, a fellow church, let alone in Riverside, that still holds the word of God high and regardless of the pressures to conform to modern thinking, um, staying true to the Word of God, and yet doing so in a way that is uh, filled with grace um, is a real blessing. So we are very thankful for all, all of you. As, as if you've got the handout, you know we're going to be in Ezekiel 37 in the Old Testament of Scripture. And um, this is probably one of the more fascinating uh, stories out of uh, the Old Testament. Uh, I can recall as a kid just being fascinated by this particular story um, about those dry bones, them dry bones. There was an old spiritual from the 1940s, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. I think it even got turned into a dog food commercial at some point. But um, they were originally singing about this vision that Ezekiel had here in Ezekiel chapter 37. I can recall when I was a little kid, here's a flashback for you, we had a flashback song Here's a flashback to my kind of early Cabbage Chapel days. Uh, we had a hallelujah night over at Harvest when we were kids, and we could all dress up in biblical costumes. And so I think I went as a Roman soldier, and I was very proud of that. And, of course, there was a Mary, and there was a shepherd, and there was a sheep, you know, all sorts of uh, biblical costumes. But my two friends showed up in skeleton costumes, and we all got to go in a line and go up on stage, and the pastor would say, so who are you, and, you know? Little kid's like, I'm Mary. You know, who are you? I'm a Roman soldier. Who are you? We're the Valley of the Dry Bones. Uh, <laughs> and I can remember the pastor being like, okay, we're going to have to make some adjustments on this biblical uh, costume uh, clause. Because I'm sure the next year a devil would have showed up. Um, <laughs> but it is a story that captures our imagination. A, a massive valley of dry bones. And then they come to life um, it's, it's unheard of, really, in the human experience. When the early church taught from this particular passage of Scripture, they emphasized the resurrection aspect of it. And, and I get it. They do. But there, there's more to it. It's, it's one of these passages that has some, some call it a pregnant passage where there's a lot of implications involved with it. And uh, um, even C.H. Spurgeon in the 19th century I think he got a little bit more at the heart of what this is teaching us. Um, because looking back with the light of the gospel into the Old Testament, we see very clearly that there are implications here about people who are spiritually dead being brought back to spiritual life. In fact, Spurgeon says that he wanted to stir up God's people to deal with the Holy Spirit as he should be dealt with and urge the unconverted to seek the Lord in the hope that some of them as dead and dry as the bones in the valley of vision may be made to live by his divine power. And so that's really my twofold prayer for us this morning. Christian, would it be that we are all the more amazed at the power of God's spirit abiding in our lives? And would it be that right now, perhaps you're sitting in the seats right now, and you might be, you'll understand this in a moment, what I'm talking about, those dry bones. And right now, your heart is just dead to it, and you're like, can we get to the turkey, Troy? And this is great, but um, would it be that the Holy Spirit breathes new life into your dry bones, and by the end of this service tonight, or this morning, that you would be alive in Christ Jesus. That, that's really my twofold prayer. The historical context of this is important. Uh, Ezekiel, when he was given this vision by God, uh, was in what we call the exile period. They were in Babylon. 
Years and years, God had warned his people, if you continue to stray, if you continue to be idolatrous, if you continue to be loose and licentious in the ways that you live, I am going to send judgment. and, And we're not talking a slap on the hand. God warned them through his prophets. I'm going to send my wrath upon you. And they continued as a people. Now, Paul said clearly there was a remnant. There's always been a remnant. But as a people, they continued to turn their backs on the Lord. And that judgment came. And Jerusalem was smashed. If you want to talk about how deep and crushing the wrath of God is, go read Lamentations. Jeremiah there just weeping before the Lord as he sees his beloved Jerusalem destroyed, thousands upon thousands killed, And then many taken off into exile. God's wrath is horrific because sin is horrific. And here here is Ezekiel, along with many of God's people, out in Babylon, living in a foreign country with foreign culture and, yes, foreign false gods. And the people were wondering, I guess this is it. I guess God has forgotten about us. I guess we deserved what we got. And God communicates to Ezekiel two things. If you want to take away two things from the book of Ezekiel. The first one is a reminder. Yes, indeed, this is punishment. And you deserved it. God's justice is on display. But we also see time and time again God's mercy. Because he could have just stopped communicating with them. That would have been it. But God's purpose in in their punishment was that they would know that he was the Lord God. In fact, God says that 60 times in this book. So that they will know that I am the Lord God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So that they will know I am the Lord God. And so as we look at this passage here in chapter 37, we're going to look at the first 14 verses What we're going to see in the first 10 verses is the vision, this amazing vision that God gave Ezekiel. And then, what mercy? God explains it to him in those last four verses, uh, verses, uh, five verses, verses 11 through 14. So, let's take a look at Ezekiel 37, and we're going to work through this, and I'll make some comments on it as we work through it, because there's a lot here. Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. In many ways, some of you know I went to film school, and this just opens up like a movie for me. It's like fade in from black The camera is panning. The film has kind of maybe got a little yellow sepia tint to it. You hear the wind. Maybe a tumbleweed or two, a jackrabbit hopping here and there. Then all of a sudden you see a femur sticking out of the dirt. Then you see a hand up like this. Then you see the skull. And then as it pulls back and it's panning over, it's not just one skeleton. It's two, it's three, it's ten, it's twenty, it's fifty, it's a thousand or more. And this valley is so dry And the scene is so epic. Now we here in the West, we know dry valleys, right? I was just talking with a lady. She's from Moreno Valley. Some of you from Harupa Valley. There's, you know, the Death Valley. There's a lot of dry valleys here in the West. But I venture to say we have never seen a dry valley quite like this one. Real dry bones. I think what the Lord is trying to drive home here to Ezekiel is that these were not just somewhat dead people. These were not just corpses. These are people that have been dead for a very long time. They were all the way down to their their skeletal level. The vultures, the beetles, the bacteria have all picked them apart. There's no flesh. It's just bone. And it's not even properly buried. For the Jewish listener, when they heard this, they would be like, oh, 
They're unclean bones too because they haven't been properly put into the ground the way that they were supposed to be. And so as Ezekiel is looking at this really horrific sight, the Lord asks him a question. Look at them, verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? What a question. <laughs> There's Ezekiel standing before a valley of bones. And he said, can these bones live? Now, humanly speaking, we know what that answer is. No. I mean, they're deader than dead. A couple of months ago, my family and I went on a road trip across America. And when we were visiting some friends in Tennessee, we were driving through the Tennessee countryside, just pictures, serene trees and green grass and old churches. It was beautiful. And then my wife said, well, as we were driving right by a cemetery, oh, look, Lamberth is on one of those tombstones. I, I put, quickly put my uh, brake on because Lamberth is not too common of a name. There are a lot of Lamberts, but not many Lamberths. We're the ones that had the lisp, I guess, many years ago. <laughs> so we turned around and pull into this cemetery. It's a small cemetery across from like this 100-year-old Methodist church, a little white country church with a steeple. And as we're walking up, we're like, wow, look at there's Lamberth. And then we kept walking, and there's another Lamberth, and there's another Lamberth. Oh, my goodness, they're all Lamberths. I'd never seen, I've never met that many Lamberths in my life at one time, and they were all dead in, in this cemetery. And this old man walks up to us and goes, well, I reckon we're akin if you're on this side of the cemetery. It turned out his grandmother was a Lamberth, and he told us about the history of Lamberths moving there uh, in the 1850s, coming out of... Uh, Georgia and the Carolinas, which is amazing because that's where my family came from. So surely my Lamberts come through Alabama. So surely there's some connection many, many years ago. And then he said, kids, get this. He said, do you want to meet him? No, no, he didn't say that. Um, Because that would be absurd, right? (laughs) There's no way they're going to come out of the ground. But that's, that's the level of the question that God asks. He says, can these bones live, Ezekiel? And Ezekiel wisely answers, really put it in a modern language, only you know, Lord. You you can answer that question, Lord, because I don't know. But I do know you, and I know you're powerful. So Ezekiel says, only you know, Lord. Humanly speaking, like I said, it's a ridiculous question. But God, the creator, the sustainer of life, asks Ezekiel, A very important question. And Ezekiel knew. He had seen God's power. He had seen both the benefits of of, of being in the presence of God, probably knowing the peace of God in that very special way. He's also seen God's wrath poured out upon Jerusalem. He knows God is all-powerful. He created the world. He parted the Red Seas. He brought manna from heaven for the people as they were coming out of Egypt. And he led them into that promised land. Oh, God is powerful. But could he raise dry, dead bones from the dead? Look at verse 4. Here's God's response. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. (laughs) Amen. God gave Ezekiel a job. We call it a calling. He said, Ezekiel, I want you to stand up before these dead bones and I want you to tell them they are going to live. Prophesying is not just telling the future. It's also proclaiming the word of God with his authority. And so here is Ezekiel given A very hard calling as a preacher. In many ways, you can even have a certain compassion for this man. You have preachers here. We have preachers at our church. We know when we stand before our churches, there are some that are living and some that are spiritually dead. 
the living ones make it worthwhile because it's, it's a joy. Oh, good. They're going to hear. His calling is to preach to people who don't have ears, let alone eardrums, let alone a brain to process the audio signal. God called him, though, to speak. Oh, dry bones, hear God's word to you. God is going to cause you to come to life again. What a strange calling. Clearly, Ezekiel knew that these people were not alive. And yet, this is the encouragement. Ezekiel is a great example to every preacher, every pastor. He is obedient to do it even in the most absurd or difficult of callings because the Lord asked him to do it. And we see him be obedient. In verses 7 and 8, look at this. So what did Ezekiel do? I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them. And the skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. (sighs) Another amazing movie moment right just there was a sound there was a rattling like legos clicking together click 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 click. all coming together the 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 toe bone connected to the foot bone the foot bone connected to the heel bone the heel bone connected to the ankle bone you get the idea this song that kids have sung was singing truths of god's power how were they coming together Sinews and tendons and joints and flesh grew. Skin began to cover them. And we're not talking about zombies here with half-rotted flesh. They were restored bodies. They looked very much alive. And I'm sure Ezekiel's mouth went... But there was a problem. They looked alive. They now had bodies. They were all reconnected. I'm sure there were organs, there were eyes, there was a heart, there was a brain. Yes, kids, even belly buttons. But the Bible says that they had no breath in them. And so God called Ezekiel to prophesy, to preach once again. Look at verse 9 and 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Ezekiel obeyed the Lord again. He proclaimed God's words again. And this time we see the breath of life come into these resurrected bodies. Once again, they looked very much alive. And now as the breath of life came into them, they took deep breaths with their lungs that they once again had. Their hearts began to beat. They began to see and to smell and to to taste. They were alive and standing on their feet. And Ezekiel says they were an exceedingly, this means abundantly large group of people. He calls them an army. I'm sure they filled that valley. There were many, many bones in that valley and now there were many, many alive people. What a vision, huh? What a vision. What in the world does it mean? I am thankful that the Lord actually gives us an answer. He helps Ezekiel understand what this is. And we see that in verses 11 through 14. Let me just read those for you here. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, 
then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Well, over and over and over, we once again see one of those many 60 plus times in this book where it says the entire purpose of this is that they would know he is the Lord. But there's also some other key phrases in here that are very encouraging. Notice twice he says, oh, my people. God had not forgotten his covenant with Abraham. They were still his people. He was going to work through them in a mighty way. Yes, he says, I'm going to open their graves. I'm going to raise them from the dead. I'm going to bring them back into the promised land. And can you think of any better words than that? If you're in exile, you've seen God's wrath poured out upon your land and your people. You're living in this foreign land. You're wondering, is this it? And God says, no, I'm not done with you. Well, there actually are another set of better words. You see, God was reminding Ezekiel and his chosen people of the greatest thing that he would do. In his judgment and now in his soon mighty work to bring them home, they will come to know something extremely good. Something they were made to know and they had rebelled against. They would know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I am, the self-existent one. The Lord is showing this stiff-necked, rebellious people that their suffering had a purpose. God was showing his holiness, his justice even, but, uh, but he also was demonstrating his mercy and his grace. God's judgment brought them to their knees and God was showing them that salvation was through him alone. And in their repentance, we see God's grace. He is forgiving and he will be their Lord, their God, their Savior. And he promises to not only restore them, but to do a new work of having the Spirit abide with them. In fact, the chapter, chapter 4, when you have time, read through chapter 36. God is very clearly making very new covenant-like promises about a new heart and the Spirit abiding with them. Something very different than what they had experienced. God declared, this will happen. And guess what? It happened. Later in the chapter, it talks about Ezekiel taking two sticks, one being Judah, one being Israel, the northern, the southern kingdoms, and how he was going to bring those sticks back together again. They were going to come back into the land once again, and King David would rule over them again. And in Ezra and Nehemiah, we get this glorious story. They get to come home. There's even a revival as they begin to read the law, the word of God out loud. They, they, they break into tears and, and gnashing of teeth and, 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 and rip their clothes. They, they fall on their knees. They, they, there's great repentance. It truly is a revival of heart. And then the temple is rebuilt and the sacrifices are established again. What a glorious time. But it was never quite what it was before. We don't ever read of the Shekinah glory residing in the temple the way it used to. The walls are built, but not quite what they were before, because we know invaders off and on in what we call the intertestamental time happen. For, of course, when we open up in the New Testament, they're occupied by the Romans. And the worst part of this season, from the return back until when Christ comes, is that God is silent with them. There's only a couple more prophets to come after Ezekiel, and then that's it. There's a dryness again. And many speculate, why? What, what happened? That God, you promised that you were going to bring them back into the land, and then that there was going to be this abundance of your spirit with your people. What's going on? Now, some, some speculate 
And we know this to be true, that by the time Christ came, the rabbis and what soon would become the Pharisees began to emphasize very much a works-based righteousness. They swung in some ways from the licentiousness and idolatrous ways of their past to then a legalism that came in. More and more there was a dependency upon their good works, their daily sacrifices, an emphasis of instead of trusting in God alone, that their rituals, that the sacrifices, that all these things that were foreshadowing the Messiah to come were good enough. And we know that to be true because when Christ arrives, there's a good number of these teachers that are at first skeptical, then jealous, and then absolute hatred for what Christ came to proclaim. In fact, Hebrews 10 kind of explains how all of this, what it was supposed to be doing. Uh, In Hebrews 10, verse 1, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The old covenant of Israel was pointing to something greater, actually something better. All those rituals, all those sacrifices were literally pointing to Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, who would deliver them once and for all from their sins. The Messiah wasn't just going to deliver them from their occupiers. It wasn't an oppressor and oppressee sort of situation here. There was actually the greatest oppressor, sin upon mankind. And that's what Isaiah and Ezekiel and all of the foreshadowing of who Messiah would be. It wasn't just to deliver them from Rome. It was to deliver them from the greatest tyrant of all, sin. And it would be several hundred years later until we really see a fulfillment of the promise here. These Echoes of Ezekiel actually show up all over the New Testament. But one really stands out to me. If you just keep your finger here, but turn to John chapter 5. Remember this, I know you guys are going through the Gospel of John right now. So think back several months ago in John chapter 5. This is when Jesus healed the paralyzed man uh, at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, It was on a Sabbath day. And uh, John writes that the Jews particularly the Pharisees were assuming, but John just says the Jews didn't like it. In fact, John says they were seeking to kill him because he had healed on the Sabbath and was making himself equal to God. And in the midst of his bold words to these people, Jesus says this in John 24, 29. Let me turn there real quick because I didn't put it in my notes. John chapter 5. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For the Father has life in himself So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of God. Listen to this. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Sadly, Many missed these promises that were foretold long ago. 
They rejected the very one who came to rescue them. John explains this in his prologue in John 1. He says that he came to his own. Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Yet we know there were some like John who did hear the words of Jesus. And though they were dead spiritually at one point, they were made alive. They knew that Christ was the promised one. What did Peter say? Where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. They saw the glory of God residing with him. He was the light of the world. He spoke of the the words of life. Not only did he raise people from the dead, think of the young girl or Lazarus. He gave spiritual life to those who were dead. As John would say again in the prologue, though his own did not receive him, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All human beings, whether physically related to Abraham or not, have this precious calling, this beautiful opportunity. Because over and over and over, we're reminded that all have fallen. All have gone astray. This is spoken of in the Old Testament, and this is spoken of in the New Testament. And what's spoken of in the Old Testament is that it's going to go global. The gospel news is going to go global. Isaiah talks about this over and over and over. And then in the New Testament, we get to see Paul and Peter and so many go beyond Jerusalem and out into the world, the uttermost ends of the world, to proclaim this good news. But in the good news, do you know what they are proclaiming? They're proclaiming, right now, you are spiritually dead. But God can change that. Right now, you are metaphorically dry bones. But God has the power to resurrect you. Turn over to Ephesians 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It is, I don't know if it's articulated any better than this. We live in a world today that says, where many Christians say, oh, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. You're not spiritually dead. You're just spiritually sick. You're only mostly dead, like Miracle Max said in The Princess Bride, the Billy Crystal character. He's mostly dead. But tell me here, what does Paul say? This is These are the very words of God. The the Holy Spirit empowered Paul to write these words. It's the same Holy Spirit that raises people from the dead. God's not mixed in what he can and can't do. He's not mixed in what he says. Here's what Paul says. Ephesians 2. You were mostly dead. You were kind of dead. You were just sick. No. The scripture is compellingly clear. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, he's writing to a Christian church here, but he's reminding them of what they came from. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You want a glimpse at what God's wrath is towards sin. We look back in the Old Testament and we see Jerusalem wrecked, ravaged, And rightfully so. Spiritually dead. It is not, 
hey, it was just the right time, it was the right circumstance, it was the right words, it was the right evidence that compelled me to believe. Paul is clearly making the case, the same case that God made for Ezekiel. Sin has so ravaged your spirit that you are dead. No amount of persuasion or evidence is going to convince a dead guy to come out to life. And when I was back in Tennessee, standing before some of those graves, some of them were decades gone, a couple century gone. I couldn't say, hey, I've got great grandma Lambert's banana cream pie. Come out of there. No. Hey, you got to come to life because have you seen the Internet? It's amazing. They're not going to come out. No amount of money, no amount of, of evidence like, hey, you know, if you'd only taken these vitamins, you probably would have lived another 10 years. Come out and take them again so you can live more. There wasn't anything They're dead. Their bodies have decomposed. They're in the grave. Now, some hear this and go, oh, here you go again, you Calvinist, talking about the spiritually dead. Are you telling me that I don't have free will? Are you telling me that I don't have choices? And no, I'm not telling you that. Because without a doubt, Every single day you make thousands of choices. And they're your choices. Some of you are wearing yellow. Some are wearing blue. Some of you are wearing stripes. Some of you, are there any polka dots in here? Plaid. We chose our flannel today. It's Thanksgiving week coming up. We chose that with free will. We chose who we were going to marry. We decided what kind of careers we wanted to pick. We, we know what our favorite ice cream is. All of those are choices and real choices. Our volition makes us, our will is not extinct. But, Martin Luther puts it well, there's a bondage on our will. Our will is not just tainted or stained, it is dead with sin. That's what Paul is using here. So it doesn't mean that we aren't making real choices. It just means every single choice we make is tainted naturally to please ourselves rather than to please God. That doesn't mean we don't help little old ladies across the street or give to food banks. Those are good things. But we no longer have the ability to be holy before a holy God. And that is the standard by which God judges us. For whatever time Adam and Eve lived, and the more I think about it, it was only probably a few weeks before they fell. For whatever amount of time they lived holy lives before God, and they had sweet communion with God. It was amazing. And then go and read Genesis 3 and on, and see what it was like after that. I Forgive me, but I think the expression literally works here. It, it went to hell in a handbasket very quickly. The next chapter, Cain's killing his brother, and it just goes downhill from there. But the worst of it, the worst of it, is no direct communion with God anymore. Separation from God again. And Paul says, this is how he describes what the walking dead are like. And yes, this is my second zombie reference here. I'm sorry. But, if, but someone born naturally, not born of the Spirit, but born of the flesh is the living dead, is the walking dead. And we followed the course of the world. We followed Satan as demonic influences. We lived in the passions of our flesh and we carried out the desires of our body and mind. And because God is still on his throne, he's still holding back. He's not allowing us to go to our, our, our absolute worst or else we would all be Hitlers in here. That's how he's always the example. Well, total depravity, that, you know, that means I'm like a Hitler. Well, before the eyes of God, yes, in the sense that you were not holy before God. But God's common grace restricts us from going into the worst of the worst at times. But nevertheless, Paul says, you, you lived according to your flesh. Every single human being is spiritually dead to holiness and to God, just like these dry bones here. Whoa. What hope do we have? Just like in Ezekiel 37, 
there's this precious line here in Ephesians 2. In verse 4, but God. I love those two words. <laughs> just when it seems like there's no hope, just when you come to a realization you can do nothing before a holy God to appease Him, but God. God moves towards His people. Verse 4 in Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. These are some of my favorite words that have ever been written in the history of mankind. There's so much hope and mercy and grace and love that is found here. If you're feeling beaten down, dear Christian, if you wake up tomorrow morning and the devil once again is oppressing you and making you feel, oh, what, what is the point? Go and read the promise of a Christian. The God who is rich in mercy. The God who loved you before you loved him. The God who rescued you from the dead and forgave you of your sins and brought, made you alive in Christ Jesus. That same resurrection power that rose Christ out of the grave that gave you new life in Christ Jesus as the Holy Spirit met your stone of heart or your hearty stone and, and made it a heart of flesh that beat for Him. That God raised you up. And he, Paul looks at this as so assuredly that he's already seen us seated in the heavenly places with Christ. And he believes emphatically there is coming a time when we will see his immeasurable riches of his grace in ways that we cannot calculate right now. So there's great hope for you, dear sinner, saved by grace. At some point you were dead, but God caused his word to come alive in you. He proclaimed it over those dead bones. He proclaimed it over that dead heart. Maybe you heard that word many times before. And then all of a sudden, you know, you grew up in the church. You're 15 years old. You just, yeah, 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 I know, I know. And then, boom, it was like lightning. You saw your sin and you saw your Savior. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever the situation was, where the Lord rescued you and breathed life into you. That is the power of God at work in the valley of the dry bones. That same God who spoke everything into existence. We can't even comprehend that. We continue to get these telescopes that go deeper and deeper into space. And do you know what we find? More and more stars. <laughs> It is beyond our calculations and yet God made them all and he named them all and he's just as present at the furthest end of the universe as he is right here in this room. That God who was imminent and transcendent, that God who was all powerful is the one who also brought Israel back into the land. He is the one that resided with Christ as he preached the good news he is the one who poured his wrath out upon Christ. He is the one who raised Christ from the dead. That same power, dear Christian, I'm preaching to myself, is the same power that abides in you right now if you are in Christ Jesus. Paul explained it like this to Titus in Titus chapter 3. But when the good news and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Dear Christian, we need to remember from whence we came. We were the valley of dry bones. But we also must remember who he has remade us 
in the image of Christ Jesus, Yahweh, the great I am, the I am who I am. Every single second of our existence is now dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I think back to my childhood and there's certain scriptures that just stuck. And I'm so thankful for that. Zechariah 4, 6 has been a verse I was reminded of all the time. Was it Wade talking about Chuck Smith? I can remember Chuck Smith time and time again saying, Oh, what a joy. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, said the Lord of hosts. That's my Chuck Smith impersonation. (laughs) I'm thankful for that. Because I was reminded from a very young age... My flesh has no power. My will has no ability. Everything I do, I must do in the power of the Spirit. We need God's Word and we need a Spirit to bring it to life in our hearts. To lead us, to guide us, to convict us, to give us hearts to worship Him. So that we might bring glory to His name. And how, how do we know if the Holy Spirit is abiding with us? Well, Jesus put it simply, you can judge by fruit. Paul explained the fruit like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Too often we read that like another law. Okay, I got I to gotta work on love. I got to work on joy. I got to work on peace. I got to work on patience. Yes, we all need to work on these things because we have this spirit-flesh battle until the day we're in the presence of the Lord. But if you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God is abiding with you. And it is He who must produce the fruit. And Paul puts it simply. You, we need to walk in step. Doesn't mean earning it. Doesn't mean obtaining God's favor. Doesn't mean when we fail, we're not repentant or we we run and hide like Adam and Eve did. No, we walk in step with the Spirit. We take up the means of grace. That's an old expression, the means of grace. Prayer, reading God's word and fellowshipping with God's people at his church. This should give us great hope that we are able to crucify our flesh We're able to walk in step with the Spirit because the Spirit Himself is abiding with us. A life of repentance and a life of trusting in Christ alone, by faith alone, knowing that we are saved by grace alone, it changes it. It, it, That's why we don't swing to that legalistic way or we don't swing to that licentious way. We're walking the way of the Spirit. And I pray, I pray that this gives you hope. Oh, that we would breathe deeply the Spirit of God and exhale worship in all that we do. Not just in singing on Sunday morning or hearing God's Word preached, but every single day we're to walk in step with the Spirit. We are to just pray regularly. I, this morning I woke up. We, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I wake up and I just I feel like I'm dry bones again. And I, I throw out these like arrow prayers. Lord, are you there? Help me. I, I feel so abandoned. And I'm like, I know it's just my flesh as it's aging. Feels, there's more aches and there's more worries. And I need the Holy Spirit. We are spirit-led people. Spirit-filled people. Oh, that we would breathe deeply the Spirit of God through His Word. One last thing, one last thing here, and I'll wrap up. What if there are some dry bones here? We don't have the privilege of kids dressed up in costumes. Oh, there are the dry bones there. There's over there. There may be some young dry bones or some old dry bones. What if today, though, is the day that God called me to prophesy over you, to preach over you, The good news that God raises dry bones from the dead. That God loves to rescue sinners from their sin. Oh, Holy Spirit, give life to the dead bones that we do not see. 
If you do not know the joy of having your sins forgiven, if you do not know the joy of new life in Christ Jesus, if you do not know the privilege of having the Spirit of God abide in you, we don't need a temple anymore because we are the temple of God. Jars of clay cracked, but the glory of God still residing in us, working in us, using us for His glory. What a privilege! I pray today that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and that the Spirit of God will cause you to believe in Jesus today so that you might have eternal life. If you hear Him calling today, if you feel your bones rattling inside you, repent, repent, confess your sin and trust that Christ is enough. His atonement was enough to forgive you of your sins. Believe that He is alive today. He rose from the dead. He's abiding with His people through His Spirit even now. And I would even encourage you, pray that the Holy Spirit then would fill you with spiritual, your spiritual lungs with new life so that you can rejoice in your salvation. I will put my Spirit within you and you shall live then you will know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is for many of us in this room to be able to say that we know you are the Lord. You are Yahweh. You are the self-existent one. You are the great I am. The one who was and is and is to come. The one who called Moses. The one who called Abraham. The one who called David. The same one who has called many of us in this room to repentance and new life in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would encourage them. You didn't leave them in that valley of dry bones. You called them and rescued them. Lord, I pray for those here today who still might be a bit confused. Why does he keep talking about dry bones? Oh, Lord, give them new life. Connect their heel bone to the toe bone. Lord, put together their spiritual hearts that they would beat for you. Fill their lungs with the, the power and the breath of your spirit. Give them new life, Lord. Grant them the great gift of repentance and faith in Christ alone. We pray this in your most precious, most mighty name, Jesus. Amen.